Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Welcome again to West Hill Baptist Church. My name is Paul Crow. Uh, if there are any visitors here this morning, uh, I am not the senior pastor, nor am I the associate pastor. I do serve on uh, the deacon board and on council here. Uh, I am an ordained minister, uh, ordained to the Southern Baptist Church in the great state of Florida. Uh, humbled by the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. I think to be called to the ministry and a pastor is humbling for anyone. And anytime you preach, it is a humbling experience. But I think to preach on the topic that I'm speaking to this morning, grace, man, I am so unworthy of God's grace. The grace that delivered to us through the cross, through the shed blood, and ultimately through the resurrection of our Savior. I want to share with you a couple passages that are not on slides before we get started. I should have highlighted these because I'm probably not going to remember which ones they are now. Uh, In James chapter 5 verse 16, it speaks of confessing our sins to one another, but then it also says to pray for one another so that you may be healed, that the intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. We are called to carry each other's burdens, and we're called to pray. And just like last week, we're going to take just a brief couple minutes in silent prayer as we remember our brothers and sisters here and across the globe. Let us pray for them. Father God, thank you for the church, this blessed institution that you have ordained. Thank you for the community of our fellow brothers and sisters. Lord, we're here for a purpose. Lord, we're not to live apart from one another, but to share in each other's lives, our pain, our burdens, our trials, our joys, the highs and the lows that life brings us every single day. Help us, Lord, to gird each other up, to encourage, to edify. We were not made to be solitary creatures, but to live in community with each other through Christ. Help us, Lord. In your name and precious name we pray. Amen. Last week, we spent some time in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we talked about solo scriptura, scripture alone. And I think together we agree and we can affirm that the scriptures are sufficient, inerrant, infallible, eternal, and the pure spoken word of God. I think we can all agree to that. 
Jason Allen from Midwestern Baptist Seminary says that the Bible holds authority over all other religious books, traditions, councils, and popes, and that the scriptures are the standard, yea, the benchmark, the plumb line for the church. Scripture alone should be our standard in faith and practice. And the three major branches of Christianity, Protestants, Catholics, Orthodox, we all agree that it is Christ, that it is grace, and it is faith that are necessary for salvation. The issue is that little word sola. That separates again us from everyone else. From Scripture, I learned that we are saved by grace through faith, in Christ, to the glory of God alone. Do you believe that? Truly believe that? This morning, we're going to see that it's grace that saves us. And it's not grace plus anything else. There are two extremes, though, to the topic of grace that we need to be aware of. The first one is legalism. And the second one is a word probably many of you have never heard of before. Antinomianism. What in the world is that? Well, it's a fancy word that comes from the Greek and it means against the law. Basically, to break all of these down, when Paul moved on from Galatia, a group of people moved in called Judaizers. And those people taught that, yes, it is Christ that saves you, it is the gospel of Christ, but you also have to become Jewish. You had to be circumcised. You had to follow the traditions. You had to follow the dietary laws. You had to follow the law. Well, Paul didn't agree with that. And in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, he said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let them be considered God's curse. If anyone from any pulpit, in any church, on any TV, or on any radio is teaching anything that adds anything to what Christ, God has already put into scripture, turn it off. This is sufficient. We need nothing else. There are no ands and there are no buts. The other side of this is antinomianism against the law. Basically, that means that since you are saved by grace, you are pretty much free to do anything you want. Doesn't matter, you're saved. Go out and live whatever kind of life you want, which is a great gospel that is being preached in a lot of places today because it gives you the freedom to do what your heart wants. What does the Bible tell us about our heart? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. 
when you were born, you were born with a carnal nature. You were dead. You were alive physically, but you were dead spiritually. Your heart was dead. Your heart was sinful. Your heart was black. That kind of a heart produces nothing good. So when we're saved by grace unto worldly freedom, that's not salvation. That's not true grace. And when people buy into that and they live a hedonistic lifestyle, allowing themselves to do whatever they want, whenever they want, they're basically taking the grace of God and flushing it down a sewer. It is a huge disservice to the sacrifice of Christ. Paul answered these critics in his letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, it says, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I'm saved by grace, so the more I sin, the more grace I get. That's stupid. It doesn't make any sense at all. Grace is a freedom, but it's a freedom from the sin, not the liberty to sin. And hopefully we all understand that here today. Because again, in too many places, that's not being preached. If you add anything to grace, it's no longer grace. And if you presume upon grace, you make a mockery of God's love. And you make a shame of Christ's sacrifice. Martin Luther once said that understanding grace alone is the hinge on which every other solo turns. Every other foundational truth hinges and turns on the truth of grace. So, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're also going to be all over the Bible, if you know me. So you can turn there if you'd like, or put it on your phones. All scriptures will be on the screens. The one thing about the Bible, and the reason why you will find me going all over the Bible, typically when I preach, unless I'm just dealing with one particular verse, is topically speaking, when we're speaking on a topic, Last week we spoke about the Bible being a whole, one story throughout 1,500 years. And we spoke about how God used all sorts of different people and all sorts of different times and all sorts of different places to create one story. The Bible confirms itself. What we speak of that is written in Timothy can be confirmed by somebody else that wrote somewhere else at some other time because it's one consistent truth. Something you will not find anywhere else. The letter to the church of Ephesus is probably the most contemporary of all of Paul's writing. Because it could actually be written to the world and to the church today. Chapter 1 is typically God's view of salvation. However... 
Chapter 2 is our view of salvation. But there's three things that we want to clarify. The first one is justice. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you and I absolutely do not deserve. Is God's unmerited favor. You know you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We never will. Ephesians 2, chapters 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. God wants to show us by his grace, it is his grace alone that we are saved. So this is us. We were dead. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, again. As for you, you were dead. There's no mixing of words here. You're dead. You were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in your sins. These things that you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. Up until your acceptance of Christ. Up until your surrender through the Holy Spirit to Christ, through his grace and faith, your faith, you are dead. You are born into sin and you have absolutely no way to respond, no way to obey, no way to seek after God in and of yourself. Romans 3, verses 10 through 11 says, There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. We have no righteousness, no spiritual ears to see, to, to, to see, no spiritual ears to hear, and no spiritual eyes to see. We are incapable of submission in and of ourselves. The scripture describes us before our salvation as slaves of sin. In 1 Corinthians, it says that we're blind, completely unable to come to God. And in John, it says we are helpless without the Holy Spirit. We're imprisoned by our sinful desire. Transgressions mean acts of sin. And the word, word sin means an immoral act considered to be a transgression of divine law. Romans 3, 22 through 24. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We'll come to the rest of this in a minute. But first, we're held captive by the ways of the world. In 1 John 2, 
we read, do not love the world or anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Are you getting an idea of the picture that we are in prior to Christ? The depth of our moral and spiritual state? The darkness and blackness of it? We were held in chains by the <clears throat> excuse me. We were held in chains by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. This is a description of Satan and his forces. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, chapter 6, verse 12. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. In Ezekiel, he writes about dry bones. Dry bones is a very good depiction of our spiritual state. Helpless and hopeless. You know, there, there's a phrase about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps when you're down. Spiritually, you can't do that. Not only can you not reach them, they're not even there. I can't emphasize how much, and I know I'm beating a dead horse, which is probably a very bad example. Peter's going to be all over me for that one when they hear it. But... I can't emphasize too much and hope that we fully understand depth of depravity. Because when we start talking about the rescue of God, pulling us out of that well of blackness, we have to understand just how far down God was willing to reach, how far down God wanted to reach. And when you think about it, that's amazing. This is us. Not only were we dead, we were defiant. In Ephesians 2, verse 3, it says, We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our own flesh and thoughts. Paul also writes in Galatians that before Christ, we were fighting a battle. Well, actually, we've been fighting a battle. We're going to fight a battle our entire lives. But before Christ, we lost every single battle. Every single one. There were times you probably felt like a winner, but in the grand scope of eternity, you were a loser. And so was I. In Galatians, in Galatians, chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, we read, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Rebellion is not just an attitude. It was the very condition of our souls. Not only are we in the bottom of a well, we're looking up from that well saying, don't you dare reach your hand down here. I don't need rescued. I don't want rescued. That's our spiritual condition. We're shouting at the very people, talking about like firemen and stuff like that. We're shouting at those very people that could rescue us. How many people in their right frame of mind would lie on a hospital bed and put their hand up and say, no, doctor, I don't want your help. What person in the right frame of mind that needs a life-saving surgery would grab the wrist of the surgeon and say, don't you dare cut on me. I'd rather do it myself without any kind of anesthesia. That's us. Jesus himself put it this way in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 19 through 20. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Anybody here have two kids or more? You can lift your hand. I know it's church, but you can still raise your hand. We're Baptists, but it's all right. I'm a Bapticostal. I'll accept it. If you've got two kids, have you ever experienced one kid saying, I didn't do it? Has that ever happened? That's us. I didn't do it. Keep the light away from me. I don't want my lies exposed. I will point the finger at anything and everything before I admit my own guilt and ask for help. I will refuse help so that my lie is not exposed. That's us. Paul says that before Christ, our hearts are hard towards his love, mercy, and grace. Ephesians 4, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. This is us. We're dead. We're defiant. And we are doomed. Paul writes again in Ephesians 2, we too by nature, our children under wrath. Wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. Every single one of us is worthy of the wrath of God. I don't think there is any kind of story somebody can tell any kind of example somebody can give from history that would correlate or, or be equal to what the actual wrath of God is. It's unfathomable. Hell is a very, very special place. 
But in, it was not originally made for you and me. The horribleness of hell was not intended for us, but for those that do not accept Christ, that is going to be their eternal destiny. That horrible wrath of God. There's no way that I can even picture what that looks like. We were dead and we are incapable of saving ourselves. But more than that, like I said before, we didn't and don't want to be saved. There's four things that we need to remember about judgment. One, it's coming. There will be a day of judgment. And the three other things that we find are in three parables that Christ tells in Matthew chapter 25, I believe. The first one is about the 10 virgins that are waiting for bridegrooms. Five of them have oil. Five of them don't. When they hear that the bridegroom is coming, the five that don't have oil say, please share with us. But the five that have oil know that they don't have enough to share. So the five without oil, well, they run, they try and find some oil. And while they're gone, the five with oil, the bridegroom comes. And he takes them through the door into the banquet. The five that didn't have oil return. But it's too late. The door's shut. And they can't get in. The other parable is told about a master that went on a journey. And he called his servants together and he gave each of them a certain amount of talents. Two of them took those talents and they used those talents and those talents prospered. But the third one didn't. He took that talent and he buried it. The other talent talks about Jesus' return. That the angels will separate the sheep from the goats and to the sheep he will welcome them into his eternal presence. But, oh, he will welcome them into his eternal presence because I'm getting ahead of myself. In Matthew 25, 35 through 36, it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I'm going to say something, and I don't want you to understand me. I, <laughs> now I sound like a televangelist. All right, I'm going to say something, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. I think that's where I'm headed. Well, I got to speed up. Salvation is not based on works. But, and you guys can correct me all you want. I might, our judgment, the Bible is quite clear, will be judged on how we live our lives. And that does speak to works. Because although we're not saved by works, we're saved for works. And how you live your Christian life plays into that. You guys remember those stories about the crowns that you're going to receive in heaven? That ultimately we're going to cast at the feet 
We get them, but we get rid of them. In James, it says, what good is this, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? None of our excuses for how we live our lives, whether we say we didn't have enough time or whether we say, well, you know, I just, uh, what does God want me to do in this situation? I, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I have, I, I have too much going on in my job, my kids. I got 27 kids and they take up all my time, which they would, but they take up all my time. There, are, there is no excuse for not doing the works that God has called to you because of the grace to which you were saved. That inexplicable, ununderstandable, if that's even a word, grace that God uses to pull you out of the darkness of sin. The Life Application Commentary says that eternal life is a free gift based on grace. Amen? I agree with that. Salvation is never based on works. Amen. And this judgment does not determine our eternal destiny. Amen. Instead, this judgment determines our rewards in heaven for living a faithful life. God's gracious gift of salvation does not free Christians from the faithful requirement of obedience on earth. All Christians must give an account for how they lived in this body. Is there power in Christ? Is there power in Christ through grace? Is there power in Christ through grace through faith? With great power comes what? Great responsibility. A lot of Marvel superheroes in here, fans. With power comes great responsibility. I know that doesn't exactly transition into a spiritual thing, but it's true. The five virgins ran out of oil. They weren't prepared. The servant said to his master, I know you, you're a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown, gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went off and hid your talent in the ground. Here, here it is. You're saved by grace, through faith, for works. And if you take those talents, you take those works and you hide them in the ground, you are not faithful. You're not obedient. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse five says to test yourself. If you're in the faith, examine yourself or do you not recognize for yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you fail the test, we were dead. We were defiant and we were doomed. We were helpless to save ourselves. Something had to happen. Something had to help us. We needed a rescuer. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 7. But God who was abundant in mercy. Because of his great love that he had for us. Made us alive with the Messiah 
even though we were dead in our trespasses. By grace, you are saved. You don't deserve it. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kingdom to us in Christ Jesus. In the context of death and defiance and doom, Jesus did something that is extravagant, amazing. He rescued us. Anybody remember the story of the baby in the well? Wherever that was, however long ago that was. That's us. And God is those rescuers. Climbing down into the well. Wrapping that harness of grace around us. And bringing us into the light out of the dark. I wish I had an emoji. It's mind blowing. The grace of God. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have an everlasting life. Romans 5, 8. But God proves his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is this great love for us. And also for his own glory that he does this. He did not die on a cross to make bad people good. He died on a cross to make dead people alive. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. All things have passed away and look, new things have come. Why? Because of his grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But you are new. All that stuff in the past, all that depravity that we used to live in that clang to us like the clutches of foulness, gone. And the only reason that it would still be there is if you allow it to be there. You're new. And we as Christians need to learn to live in the newness of our salvation. We are still sinners. We still fall. We still make mistakes. But we are not identified by the blackness that we once were. We are identified by the light of Christ that we gain through salvation by his unmerited grace through faith. And as Christians, we darn well need to start standing on that point. And not wallowing in what we used to be. Because we're not. Why did he do this? To show his character. We're going to come back to Romans 3, verse 22 through 24. It says that this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The rest of it reads, And you are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. 
This is what Paul was writing about when he wrote in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 7. He said, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God initiated our salvation, and it is by grace alone, not a doggone thing that we can do. It is a present, it is a gift, freely given, held out through the bloody arms of Christ to you to accept or reject. We're seated with Christ. But God, who was abundant in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace, you are saved. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We're alive, he raised us up, and we're seated with him. Apart from Christ Jesus, we're dead. United with Christ Jesus, we're spiritually alive. And make no mistake, as Jonathan Edwards once wrote, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that makes it necessary. So, we now have resurrection power over guilt, over shame, and over condemnation. And when Christ died on the cross, we died with him. When he was raised from the grave, we were also raised with him. I'm going to skip ahead. John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, wrote this near the end of his life. And this is going to summarize everything we've talked about. I am not what I ought to be. Oh, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil. And I would cling to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon shall I put off mortality. And with mortality, all sin and imperfection. Yet, though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say, I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and a slave to Satan. I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am. To recap, I cannot emphasize the depth from which God, through Christ, and his grace rescued us. And therefore, if you are here today and you do not know the Lord, if you're here today and you know the Lord, but you know what? Your walk's not what it used to be. You're not in the sunshine. You're in a deep, gnarly forest where the light is barely perceptible. There is a rescuer. Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for you because of his love. And it is available to all that would accept that free gift. As a believer, God never lets you go. He will allow things into your life you will never understand. Believe me, I still have questions. But you know what? 
I believe that God is faithful. And because of my belief in the faithfulness of God and the great price that he paid for me, I know that I'm not abandoned. I know he's there. And there's something that I should need to learn from this. Or there's something or someone that through this trial, God is going to use that to speak to them sometime later. I don't have to have the answers, but I do have to be obedient and faithful. And that is exceedingly hard sometimes. So sometimes we just need to pray, help me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father God, may through your spirit, please speak with me this morning. If I don't know you, Lord, I want the gift that you offer so freely. I'm a sinner and I don't deserve it. But you do offer it freely. And Lord, Father, I may not always be walking the way that I should be. I may have questions. I may have doubts. But Lord, please, through your spirit, fill my heart with the knowledge of your faithfulness. Help me to walk true and steady, even though the road is rocky and uneven. I give my all. I give my life to you.